Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to season six of the Happy Vagina podcast, dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who focus on making a difference in women's health, equality, and relationships. Each week, we chat to an inspiring human being as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook, promising not only to educate, but also to entertain and enlighten. And today, I am absolutely beyond ecstatic to be joined by Adina Porter, Emmy-nominated, award-winning actress, mum, care ambassador, and activist campaigning for voting, voting rights, and clean water access. Adina, am I saying your name right, Adina? It's a little complicated. Yes, you are. But um, my mother called me Adina. My dad called me Adina. I'm named after his mother. So the family pronunciation is Adina. But my mother didn't really like her mother-in-law. So she said, no, your name is Adina. So it was always just back and Uh, forth, back and forth. uh, Um, But I introduced myself as Adina. And then I gave my daughter the middle name of Adina to continue the family tradition. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, Adina, (laughs) welcome to the Happy Vagina podcast. Thank you. Thank you very, very much for having me. Thrilled to be here. Before we do a deep dive into all, I mean, I've been, I first discovered your work when you were in True Blood and I'm a bit of a vampire fanatic and I really loved your work. And, um, I, yeah. And, um, before we do kind of like come back to some of the aspects of your life that I've been quite keen to do a bit of a deep dive into with you, we are going to start with the traditional happy vagina quiz, which is uh, an either or starting us off this week with a very binary quiz that I hope will give us some insight and break down some of the potential taboos that people may be struggling with in their life today. So are you ready for the totally binary happy Mm -hmm. vagina quiz? Okay, Mm -hmm. great. Adina, Mm -hmm. brief or G-string? Brief. I mean, G-string for an outfit, but comfort every day, brief. Has Has it always been that way for you as a woman? Yes, because I've, I tried G-strings, um, but uh, having that up my bum, ass, is just uncomfortable. <laughs> and I have a, a large derriere. So um, I um, have actually found um, briefs that really uh, cover comfortably all of my derriere. So um, Tommy John's, I think, is really... Really, really. Tommy John's. Are they like a boy short? No, they're not like a boy short. Like I will wear a boy short for like a cute, you know, walking around the house outfit. Not with my children, but like with a guy. But uh, for everyday comfort, just a good old fashioned uh, brief below the belly button. Tommy John's. I'm totally going to be looking up Tommy John's when I'm in America early next year. A A girlfriend of mine gave them to me as a Christmas present. And um, they are the most comfortable underwear I've ever had in my life. I also celebrate having a rather large butt. As you say, bum, you said it was such like an English accent. It was so cute. I was like, (laughs) that's so cute. This is so sweet. Both of my parents were raised in British colonies. So I I have family in England. Um, My father was born and raised in Sierra Leone, West Africa. We celebrate Boxing Day. So I have a lot of English traditions. Wow. So do your parents speak with an English lilt, an English accent lilt? Well, let's say my my uncle, he did. My my first cousins, they did. I mean, because one cousin went to Cambridge, the other went to, was it Oxford? Or someplace in England. She's a barrister, uh, my first cousin. 
So yes, they did uh, speak with, and my, I, my, I, Maidri, she was the head of education in Bermuda, very British lilt, uh, like soul food and things like that. We incorporated into our family as an adult, but growing up, it was all English, English tea, English Christmas cake, English pudding. Yeah. I've got to ask you, I actually can't not ask, but you know, I just saw this on the news this week. There was some reporting about a French energy company that has bought a piece of land in an African country in order to create more sustainable energy. Okay. So this is like a good thing, right? And the women who have been farming that land are on the news crying because only the really wealthy much land-owning people, because it's a huge piece of land, it's not like just an acre, uh, were given any money and not very much. And the slightly more uh, kind of local women, you know, the women who who they have a little bit of land in order to grow crops and feed their children were given nothing and they can now not feed their children. And I was literally screaming at the television, how, when the conversation around the taking away of land from indigenous people and colonialization is so present in our consciousness right now. I mean, there's a big movement around it. I was like, I was literally like, how the fuck can they think it's okay to fucking do that? You know, like it's like beyond my comprehension. So as a woman who comes from uh, a family of, I, I know that your family were immigrants. You, you, you came, came to America, but I didn't know so much that your parents had grown up in countries that had been colonized. How, how what, what's your feeling about the movement that's going on? Um, I think those women need, uh, you know, share me, share that article so that I can then uh, amplify it. It's, it's be that, you know, that, that corporation is, um, getting away with it because people don't know about it and uh, stealing land and not getting uh, compensation for it uh, still. Uh, so then what we can then do is um, amplify those voices by letting the world know that um, yet again, these women are being robbed. The, the country who negotiated the deal with that French company um, needs to uh, be held accountable so that all of their citizens are um, being compensated for it. Um, uh, you know, the African countries were just uh, had a state dinner here, Biden, uh, talking about um, wanting to work together and, and aid, excuse my language, fuck aid. There's tons of natural resources there. Um, that uh, needs to be compensated properly. And so, France, if you want to go there for a sustainable uh, grade, then partner with the uh, people, and not just the people in charge, but all of the people. I mean, literally, I just taken us on such a tangent. And the next question is so outrageous based on the fact that we've just been talking about something so serious. But I am going to bring us back to the quiz because yeah. we've got plenty of time later to talk more about politics. And mm-hmm. both of us are really passionate about the change and the movement and the quality that's going on. So back to the quiz. Next question is tampon or period pants? I used, when I menstruated, I no longer menstruate, um, I used um, and loved um, a menstrual cup, a diva cup. Um, when you were in your menopause or in your perimenopause, HRT or au natural? Au natural, only because, um, uh, I mean, if, if someone needs to use hormones and things like that, I wasn't against it. I just... Um, it didn't get to that point where I needed it. And um, I also was really listening to my body and trying to figure out what this, because I, I figured there had to be some kind of great wisdom that about this time of life that was no longer shared. Just like I had no idea that medicine was a female profession until like with, with like part of the Salem witch trials, those women were also, besides being landowners, they were also um, medical and, and, and medicine women. I had no idea about that. Uh, and that it um, was one of the things that changed from a female profession to a male profession. 
So anyway, all that to say was that I noticed that um, when I would go away to work, I didn't have hot flashes. So when I wasn't having the stress of being a mom, no hot flashes. So I was like, oh, okay, for me, let me figure out a way to um, be aware of my stress. And that's how I was able to um, ride my menopause journey. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And um, that's so cool. And so now I I do yoga uh, and, med- and meditate like three to four times a week. And I I also kind of want to share that um, I was kind of expecting all these things to happen. Like I was no longer going to have a great sex life. That my um, that things would just start deteriorating. And um, it's been my experience, just the opposite. I'm having the best sex of my life by myself as well as with partners. The worry of not getting pregnant, um, releasing that, and then, you know, enjoying this time, this pleasure is um, no one told me that was going to happen with men. Just the opposite. I know there's a lot of scaremongering that goes on around the loss of libido and the drying up of the vulva and all that kind of stuff. And actually it's like, I do believe in the power of the mind and I don't mean to diminish people's experiences. And I'm only just starting into that period of my life. So I, I don't know yet what my experience will be. But what I hear you saying is that you went away and you realized that your hot flashes were not as bad when you were away. So you made a mental decision to be in charge rather than a victim of it. And I do think that the body listens to the mind and that if we choose to be fearful of the vulva drying up and and no longer being able to be used or the atrophy, the thinning of the skin, which can be very painful for some women in in sex. And again, I, I don't diminish the women that are going through that and that they've tried and they can't, but I think it's worth trying, isn't it, to decide to not buy into the scaremongering. Yes. And I think, I mean, I'm a widow. My husband died. My last husband died. I think my experience might be different if I was in a relationship, like a long marriage because of the keeping things alive is so difficult, you know, when you are in a long-term relationship and having to deal with the pressures of life and children, all this kind of things. And because I'm not, I don't have that. I have the experience of like, I'm having, I'm in a long distance relationship now. So it's the excitement of seeing a person, all that kind of stuff. It allows me to be, um, present, to to go on dates with myself, all these things that I have to consciously do because I can't just rely on having a partner. Um, And therefore, I don't have to suffer the monotony, (laughs) excuse my French, of having a partner. And so I get to be active. I get to be incredibly active with my sexuality. And maybe also because I grew up in a home where my mom, you know, a different generation, she didn't have that. She didn't have access to that. You know, I'll tell you the story about when I took my mom to a sex shop on Mother's Day to have her buy a, a vibrator because I got tired of her complaining all the time and, and, and assuming that it was someone else's responsibility to, to perform something and then, and then all of a sudden the magic would happen. So it was like, I was in my thirties and, um, I took her to this wonderful, uh, shop in New York called the secret garden. I don't know, no, don't know if it no longer exists. It was on mother's day. And, um, you know, she picked out a little vibrator. Um, she said she used it too. I, I did read about your, 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 your late husband and I am sorry. And I'm also thrilled for you that you have found a new way of, of being more pleasure than you might have. And I hear you, you know, that I think the, as much as I'm sure knowing grief very well myself, that, and that the two things, the two things can sit together, that you've got the joy of being able to explore the new and also the grief of the loss of not being able to grow old with someone who you 
anticipated. And the two things can go hand in hand. But I, but I am, I'm thrilled for you that you are, that you, that you are, that you're exploring, which, which does bring me to my next question, which feels like, again, totally inappropriate, but it's the happy vagina. So fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is clitoral or G-spot. Yeah. Both. I'll share this story and I, and I share it to, to, to let other people know that I was, uh, I didn't know how to have an orgasm for the longest time. And I was sexually active, but clueless. Um, and, uh, and you can stop me if it's just TMI, but, um, no, I, it's not, it's not, it's not, okay. it's never going to be TMI. <laughs> I, um, I, the, 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 guy I was with one day was just like there's a disconnect here where you could just tell I was faking it and um um I I did some research and I went to the Mount Sinai Human Sexuality Clinic (gasps) yes in New York City which is and I went to therapy we went to therapy as a couple and she gave us exercises to do and and they weren't exercises like with my body or his body, I don't even remember what they were, but they were exercises and, and, and to learn, you know, how to have the skill. And I, cause I just didn't know how. And I had my very first orgasm in Jamaica on holiday. And the vibrator that I had was um, this thing that you put on your barbers would put on their hands to do like a scalp massage. And uh, that was my very first orgasm. And I I slept for like 24 hours after that. Um, And and so I am, and then I also will share that um, I was sexually assaulted um, my junior year of college. Um, And uh, which unfortunately one out of five women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. So it's, it's, it's out there. And I knew that um, if I didn't want that person to win, I did not want um, my then sexuality to only be determined by um, what this person, you know, did unto me. Adina, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Can I ask how old you were when you first had an orgasm? Ish? Like, are we talking 28, 38, 48 ish? 26 ish right. I think I'm really pleased that you said 28 because inside of me I was going I really hope this wasn't like a recent thing like I oh. hope that she's had like years of no, pleasure I've had, I've had decades I've had decades yeah of it. um okay, I mean I, I, I've only g-spot is easier for me with a partner than by myself um though there's there's one vibrator that I have that um I can I can find it but it's 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 easier with a partner uh that but i have well anyway that was that i can go on forever um and i i I, I, seriously i I was a part of an acting troupe traveling around um west africa going to different villages talking about um alternatives to female genital mutilation because i'm not going to judge it because I come from a country that, you know, women do breast implants and other kind of implants. So I'm not, I, I, I'm not there to judge. I'm, and, and it's women who are doing it for money. Um, it's a job. What is the alternative to FGM? Um, having another, uh, uh, the alternative would be another form of income. Look for another form of income. Helping them move, basically giving them the skills to move away and support themselves through something else. That's amazing. And then the, or just the knowledge that you can do other things, um, that this isn't necessary. Yeah. We all get stuck, don't we? With our, I mean, we can all, we can all sort of be thinking, get our brains can just think this is what is it for life. And we, and sometimes you need someone who can help you see outside 
of your own narrow-mindedness or the cultural narrow-mindedness so you can get a sense of something else. I'm definitely going to introduce you to a couple of my female FGM campaigner warriors in the UK, Nimco Ali and, he- and he- Hebo Wadir, who've both been on the podcast and they're two of my favorite episodes. My last question for you in this binary quiz, um, I'm going to tell you what it is and I, I don't, I'm going to answer it for you. It's vegetable or vibrator. And I've got a, a weird feeling you're going to say all of the above. <laughs> I, I, I'm never going to waste food. So n- I'm not going to waste I'm going to say vibrator, but um, I, have be, I have mastered my fingers. I've mastered my fingers. Before, for the longest time, I could only come with a vibrator. But now I also can come with my fingers. And um, I find that orgasms with my fingers are um, more intense, are are deeper, are longer. I think it's just because the the nerve endings in the fingers. So there's, um, I mean, there's always a guarantee when I have my vibrators and I have different kind, different ones. Um, but uh, I'm so grateful to uh, have mastered with it, with my fingers. And I discover that my fingers are, I discover my fingers with my imagination, not using, you know, um, erotica or pornography. I find those most satisfying because then it's like breath I concur Uh, so yeah and and it's quieter and now that I have teenagers who might know what's happening I just really like (laughs) you know quiet (laughs) <laughs> just I'm just having I'm just having a secret personal moment of thank God I don't have kids I don't need to worry about that. but we're going to come back to the conversation around children a bit later you've just kind of shared thank you for sharing so openly and beautifully about you know the some of the the deeper choices that you make as a as a woman and you've 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 told me that you're discovery of the orgasm and your deepest pleasure was earlier in your life, which is great. But on the topic of late bloomers, I read in an interview and they said that you're a late bloomer. Now, on the one hand, you could say that's true because you have become someone who's more visible because television is more visible because it goes in people's homes. But you had this wealth of work behind you on the New York stage and like Shakespeare, the New York Shakespeare comedy. It's just like, do you, do you mind? Because I find it really inspiring because there's so many things that I still want to do with my work that I haven't been able to do yet. And so I like it when I see women who I think, God, it, it took them time too. It didn't all happen for them when they were 21. But do you mind being called a late bloomer? Do you ever just think, hang on a second, I spent my entire life doing this. What are you talking about? Um, I don't mind being called a late bloomer. I had a secondary job until the second season of True Blood. And I'll tell you what that secondary job was because it was being a sex worker. And but it, uh, and let me tell you how I was a sex worker. I was a um, a standardized patient. So a standardized patient is a person who pretends to have a particular illness for medical schools, and medical schools ask you. Um, I started off with pretending to have lupus. And so um, it's to teach medical students to have a bedside manner. So they would have to come in and ask me certain questions. And I would then mark them on uh, their bedside manner skills. And one day a, um, uh, a medical student asked me if, I could, if they could perform a breast exam. And I said, yes, I had no idea that what I was supposed to say was, oh, they already did the breast exam. It's over there. The reports are over there. But I said, yes. And he performed a breast exam. And then later on, he freaked out. He was like, I wasn't really supposed to do a breast exam. She was supposed to say the reports over there. So the person who was in charge of uh, this was at Mount Sinai again, uh, this program said, well, if you're comfortable with having breast exams performed on you, then 
look into this program because this program is having gynecological exams performed on you so that you can teach medical students how to perform a proper gynecological exam that is not uncomfortable. And so many women would avoid this exam because of the shame, because it was not comfortable, because it was, um, it was um, the, 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 the power struggle. So for 10 years, I would have a um, medical student perform gynecological exams on me, and I would show them how to insert a speculum without it being, being uncomfortable, how to find a person's cervix without it being uncomfortable, um, how to palpitate the ovaries without it being uncomfortable, how to uh, give feedback in a way that's empowering, um, how to use language that is not, um, like for example, the speculum, they're called blades. They're not blades. When you say you're got about to insert blades into a person's vagina, you're going to automatically tense up and the exam is going to be uncomfortable. Let's call them bills because they're like duck bills. They're about the size of, of uh, two fingers. And so if you say to a woman that I'm about to insert bills that are about the size of two fingers, that's a lot more comfortable than uh, saying I'm going to insert um I had a, a medical doctor say once, it's about the size of a small penis. Why say that at all? Why introduce that to this? So I'm incredibly proud of the work that I've done. Um, many times when medical students are just starting out, they're going to start out in a clinic and they're going to see maybe a woman who doesn't have as much money. Um, they're going to maybe see a person of color. And I love the fact that they um, got practice on me, a person of color, um, uh, doing these exams. I know it's really interesting that whole area as well, though, because one of the things that I've written about in, in my book, The Happy Vagina, the speculum and the cervical examinations and the smear test were initially created on three black women who were slaves. And there's now, there used to be a statue in New York that was dedicated to him. His name was Sims, Dr. Sims. And that's been taken down. And they're now putting something up to represent these women because he, he tested cervical procedures on these black women without anesthetic. And because they were working for him, working as in being slaves, they were not allowed to say no. So it's not like they, there was no freedom of choice and there was no anesthetic. So I find it really interesting. And I guess one of the questions that I have for you, because there's also a really big conversation at the moment around um, surrogacy and the fact that one of the, I'm a real, I think surrogacy is great, but there are some campaigners and it's the same around sex work that, that these roles are often really roles that the working class women or women without money do in order to sustain themselves. And I guess I wondered whether or not with the medical, uh, the, the, you, you call it sex work, but in both, in both camps, whether it be the lupus or the sex work, was it mostly, you know, underprivileged people that were doing those no, things? Like, no. is it? No. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It was actors. It's a great job. Oh, so all actors. Yeah, it was actors. Um, there was one woman who was elderly, who was, um, she was a, a sex surrogate. So that she worked with people who had sexual issues and difficulties. So this was her second career. So, uh, so it was also a passion of hers. Um, but no, it was, no, it was not that, um, we couldn't, it was because we did them at, um, like at eight o'clock at night after hours so that you had all day to audition and, um, at you, you, know, you, you, you worked at night. And, and the definition that you've given the secondary part of that work is that you were doing sex work or were a kind of a sex worker. Do you is that a definition that is given by that pocket of the industry or is that how you describe it? I chose to uh, use it, um, describe it, because um, I want to de-stigmatize sex work. 
I mean, I used my sex. I used my vagina uh, during it. So, um, so that's why. Yeah. And it's kind of cheap. It's a leveler. Yeah. And also because um, sex workers in my family. And so I want to, uh, I, 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 there's research to believe that my grandmother also was a sex worker. Um, and um, so um, it's about destigmatizing it. We're going to take a short break. Before we do, I just want to let you know that this podcast is produced by the female-founded production company, Pineapple Audio Production. Pineapple create groundbreaking podcasts from concept through to your headphones at the very highest level of audio. Their international team support independent podcasts like mine, The Happy Vagina, as well as major brands like the BBC and Grazia. And they are super passionate about helping young people into the audio industry. To find out more, go to pineappleaudioproduction.com or check them out on Instagram at pineappleaudioproduction. Are you experiencing repeated vulva vaginal infections? The incredible products at Momotaro Apotheca are here to help. Momotaro Apotheca is a certified organic and cruelty-free care line which gently treats symptoms associated with common issues like yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, UTIs and more. Their proactive plant-based products are a safe, sustainable solution, not only helping to prevent infections but also solve acute conditions. Use them every day for itching, inflammation or irritation and let them treat the root of the infection. To find out more, go to www.momotaroapotheca.com. That's www.momotaroapotheca.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I recently saw on Instagram, someone put a post up saying, and this is so much of a deeper conversation, and I actually don't have the vocabulary to have it, but they just said that they thought all prostitution was rape. And a lot of the feminists that I'm kind of connected to in the UK are on that kind of thing. And I'm, and I'm, I'm not in it. I think, I think we need to destigmatize it and also get rid of the shame around sex. So that sex becomes something so healthy that, you know, if you need to employ somebody to make sure that you are a healthy sexual human being, that's okay. You know, whether it's because you're single or because you, you're with a partner who can't have some, whatever the fucking thing is, like, it's great that we can pay for sex, surely. Well, when I paid for sex, um, uh, uh, I, I hired her. It was in Canada. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think that, I mean, I, I learned about her. I was hanging I was out with uh, drinks with my dear friends in, in Canada. I was doing a show called The Hundred. So I was up in Vancouver, and uh, they uh, these two women, Amit and Benit, and um, their sisters, my sisters, and uh, we have traveled the world together, and they're just fabulous. And so I was there with them, and they invited. I've always met amazing people with them, and they invited this woman who writes about um, sex, and so she told me about getting a massage with a happy ending. And I was like, this is possible? And, <laughs> and, well, and men do it all the time. <laughs> I didn't know. And, and, and to do it in, in Vancouver in Canada. So you're not, it's not a, a third world country where people are doing it because they're, they can't make any money. This particular woman, this was her passion. 
This was her passion. And it was an amazing experience. It was an amazing experience to just it all be about my pleasure, not being about uh, worrying about somebody else. I mean, it was. Yeah, but it's also just pleasure. It's just pleasure. Like, what's the big deal? No, no, no. she was magnificent. And then, and she served uh, tea and chocolate afterwards. And uh, my orgasm was so incredibly strong. The second time I did it, it wasn't as strong just because, um, you know, the novelty had worn off and I wanted, I wanted intimacy. Mm. But also I think that it's not just the novelty. The truth is, is that it's, it is, it's a bit of a um, adrenaline rush, isn't it, to, to, to do that, you know? I do want to move on to uh, something. One of the other reasons that I really wanted to speak to you is because I read, obviously, you know, as I said, you've had this longstanding career on the stage and um, you have been nominated for an Emmy and a Saturn and you won an Obi. Like, you know, you're, you have this kind of wealth of, of work and I could talk about so much of it, but the thing that I really want to know about is that I read when you were either studying or, or when you were in the early part of your career, you took one of Toni Morrison's books and adapted it. And Beloved changed my life forever. When my mother sent me that book to read, that and oranges are not the only fruit. I thought I, it was like my head and my heart exploded all at the same time. And I want to know how that came about and what she was like, because I'm <laughs> so inspired by her. I'm like, I'm basically, I'm totally jealous. <laughs> I feel like this is the closest I'm ever going to get to Toni Morrison. Oh, well, um, what happened was it was um, senior year of college and our end of year project, our thesis, because I went to SUNY Purchase, was to create a one woman show, a one person show. And so I, with uh, the help of an amazing uh, woman, Kathleen uh, Wiggins, she was Kathleen Wiggins now, she's Kathleen, Kathleen Harvey then, um, we worked together and adapting The Bluest Eye, Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye, to a one-woman show. And it was, uh, we got very good feedback on it, and uh, the teacher who was in charge suggested that we um you know we should we should we should bring it to new york take it to new york and kathleen's mom saw that tony morrison was uh doing a lecture somewhere and she said you girls should go see you know miss morrison and so we did got to kathy's car and we drove to um i don't even even remember where uh, and 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 listen to Toni Morrison lecture, and then we went up to her afterwards, and we said that you know we're just we're two students, and we go to SUNY Purchase, and we adapted your uh, book, The Bluest Eye, to a one-woman show, and she gave us her phone number, and she told us to call her, and we called her, and she invited us to her home, and I performed The Bluest Eye in her living room in front of her and her son. And um, she was very, very impressed with what I did. And uh, she gave us the rights to um, perform it for a limited run in New York City. And we did it off, off Broadway, three weeks. And um, that's my Toni Morrison story. Um, she saw, in my humble opinion, um, uh, she was Toni Morrison, the teacher, seeing two young black women, um, students, gave us her phone number, invited us into her home. Um, uh, yes, I'm, 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 I'm where I am now because of teachers, and I just happen to be beyond lucky. <laughs> uh, and also, Kathy's mom having the guts to say, go on, girl. And so that's, uh, that's my, my um, first Toni Morrison story. My second Toni Morrison story um, was I was invited to, to do a reading of her play about Emmett Till at the Public Theater, Shakespeare Public Theater. And um, afterwards, 
I went out to dinner. I was invited out to dinner with her and George C. Wolfe and a whole bunch of other people. Um, the, the, the actors who were in the cast for the stage reading, you know, and this was, uh, was very, very young. I just was happy, you know, to like, be given food. And I'm sitting there just trying not to say anything incredibly stupid. I'm just like, just, you know, just, 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 just sitting there being beyond grateful to be in the presence of um, this, you know, these greatness. And um, I was sitting across from someone. She didn't talk. I didn't talk. But then when I went home that day, I was looking through my albums, wanted to play an album, and I recognized the woman who I was sitting across from, Nina Simone. No. (gasps) Do you wish that you'd known it was her, or are you quite pleased? Because I think if I'd have known it was Nina Simone, I would have probably, like made a fool of myself, hogged her, like taken her hostage, taken her, <laughs> been like asked her three million glad, questions. I'm glad I didn't know because um, Gina Torres sat me next to Cicely Tyson at her wedding and I made a fool of myself asking too many questions. So it was really better that I didn't know. It can happen. <laughs> it can happen. Like, <laughs> was there anything? Did Nina Simone sing? No, or did she no, just no. be she at the lunch? Sitting, no, she was just oh. quiet. And, you know, she's just, just there. there. Yeah. Just there what a woman. Did, 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 did Tony Warren say anything to you that you've taken through your career? Like, was there any kind, did, did she impart any specific wisdom on you? It was just, she saw me. She saw me and she saw Kathy. By giving us her phone number, her personal phone number, inviting her in us into her living room, just said that what I was doing, what we were doing, was good enough. You know? Um, maybe I wouldn't be here if she gave me her agent's phone number. You know, and... But just the fact that she gave us her personal phone number and invited us into her home, you know, said it all. Yeah. You, you've, um, you've said, again, I'm quoting from an interview, which is always slightly dangerous, but, I, but I, I read that you said, work is hard, but being a mom, as you all say in America, is harder. And, um, you know, we've just been talking about how hard it can be to be a creative and for you particularly Coming to being a mother, can we talk about your journey to motherhood? You know, I've, I've spoken about it a lot on the podcast and I do on the Instagram feed that I'm, I'm child free. It's not necessarily a choice that I made, although I do think there's always a bit of a choice in everything. And um, because of my story, we have a huge following of women who actually are also child free for many different reasons. And you're not child free. You have two adopted children with your late husband who we talked about at the beginning. But I would like to hear a little bit about what your journey was like to making the choice for adoption and your choices around. I I always find it slightly sensitive. I don't want to say, but about biology, like not, you haven't become a biological mother. And what was that journey like for you? My mom was adopted. So adoption has always been the option for me. My very first relationship, I was with him, with him for six years and he had had a vasectomy because he and his girlfriend before that um, got pregnant and um, um, chose to abort the pregnancy and he did not want to do that again. So he got a vasectomy and um, I thought, good on you. And um, Let's adopt. Um, and then that relationship ended. And then I was married um, to someone else. And I just assumed that we would adopt because he spent a lot of time in West Africa. We saw children, um, like gangs of children, uh, working together, begging for food. I mean, there, was, there were children everywhere that needed homes. And I asked him about adoption. And he was like, it's really important that for me that the child looks like me, he said. And I thought, that's new information. And he was um, a white Jewish man. And I was like, you know, because we're together, um, 
there's a real good possibility that they're going to look more like me than you. <laughs> um, so that was a surprise. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then like the, lady, the relationship kind of fell apart a year later. And then um, with my, when I met my then second husband or third, we call it the first is common law um, on our second date, because I thought he was pretty special. On our second date, I asked him, I said, um, what do you think about adopting an African-American child? And his response was, or two. And I thought, that's hot. <laughs> so um, adoption was, and I tell this to my children, um, that it was not our second choice. Um, yes, I... Um, we had unprotected sex and yes, um, three times, well, two times it was a miscarriage. And the third time, um, the, the testing was revealed how, um, unhealthy the pregnancy was. And, uh, we chose to terminate it. We chose, that's an interesting story. I auditioned, I was auditioning for True Blood and I walked into the audition and I had just had taken that test for uh, the CBS, CBS. And I remember thinking, I'm not nervous about this audition. I'm nervous about that test I just took. And I felt really good about the audition. It went well. And then on the way home, I get a phone call from my doctor saying that the CBS test results have come in. This pregnancy is really not good. I don't know if you're going to go full term. Um, and if you do go full term, I don't know how long the child will survive. And then call waiting came in. And the call waiting was another call from my agent saying, you've got true blood. Now, I had no idea that true blood was going to become true blood. <laughs> but I do know that um, that character was only supposed to be um, in the first season and then be killed off. I do know that if um, the pregnancy was a viable pregnancy, I would have had to um, disclose it, um, which might have uh, continued the their original idea of the character only being there for um, one season. So um, I am beyond grateful for the uh, the way that my life has turned out. Um, after I, I I remember taking one particular test to make sure that the ovaries were like open and everything. And when we discovered they were, it was we had this option, IVF or adoption. And we were doing private adoption, so the cost was basically the same. And my husband and I chose adoption. Um, uh, I love, I love, it's an open adoption too, so that the birth parents picked us um, in both of our situations. Um, I love that it's the human to human um, aspect of, of building a family. Um, I have no regrets for not having a biological child. Um, growing up, I wanted to be an actor. And so I, um, I, I fulfilled that dream. And now having a really tight vagina is very satisfying. <laughs> So I'm, I'm happy. Is that? <laughs> is that? And why am I grateful for my children today? Because they still have a tight vagina. You heard it here first. I think it's really beautiful. And I've been close to tears listening to you. I think it's, and I don't, I don't know if we have that in the UK where the, I'm going to look into it, whether the, 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 the birth parents can choose the adoptive parents. I think that's a really amazing 
system and they are very lucky to have chosen you and regarding your ongoing role in true blood and that hasn't just happened in true blood that's happened also in american horror story if i was if i if you were in one of my projects and you were only in the first two episodes dina i tell you right now i know why they're keeping you on because you're absolutely amazing i'll just share that um my um the the adoption agency wanted us to keep everything kind of private until my children were 18 years old and then share that information. But because my mom, it was a different time. So she wasn't given that information and she never really understood or or knew all the information and it, it haunted her. And I did not want that for my children. So we went against the adoption agency's recommendation and we um, chose to uh, stay in touch. And we are very much in touch. We text each other. We follow each other on IG. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, so I just wanted to share that so people know that's an option. Our parents' generation, my mom also, her dad was not... Her dad was actually a bigamist when she when she went to join him back in Canada, etc. It's a longer story, too much to talk about here. But the point is, is that my mom always felt that she didn't have the identity that she deserved. And I think identity, for me, I don't think about it because it's not, for me, I know what my identity is. I mean, I do think about identity. I think about, and I think about my own, but it's not a problem for me. And I think having identity as something that isn't addressed in an open, above board way, like, so essentially my mum, it was hidden from her that she had a different dad. And then she found out like way later. And then that becomes something that you have to try and process your entire life beforehand has been a lie. Everything's been a lie. And I did not want that for my children. And so uh, it's very much open. And, and, and I find that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's room enough for everyone to be loved. I don't feel like threatened by them. Um, they actually give me permission to love my children um, completely. Um, so I, uh, uh, my children, when they were younger, were a little confused. Like, is that my, my biological mother or your sister? Or yeah, they just know they're adults who love them. And that's, 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 that's great. On, we've touched a little bit on, on abortion and, and, and the absolutely important role that it plays in our physical and mental health. And I know that one of the things that you are, there's so many things that you campaign about and that you're actively shouting about from your part of your universe. But I know that voting is something that's really important. And, and, and while, of course, you're, you're in America, the, I think there's a few things around, around voting, particularly, I think, for me. So, so I think it's relevant for all listeners, regardless of whether or not they're currently living in the United States, where we do have a big following, or whether they're in the UK or somewhere else, and about the importance of voting and the apathy that is starting to come in, particularly with the younger generations, that they're like, that's not my government. So therefore, I'm not going to vote. And the difficulty with that, and I, I get it, I get it. Sometimes I don't want to vote either. I think I don't like any of them. But but by doing, by not voting, we are giving our power away no matter where we live in the world. And I think also there's great statistics in both the UK and in America that particularly the black communities and the people of color often not just along with the young feel like the governments are not their their government. They're not looking after their interests. So I just, you know, I really wanted to understand a bit about where your journey came to, to be advocating for this. That's just the way I, I was raised. <laughs> I mean, it was just, you know, my parents. Uh, my father, uh, I remember when he became an American citizen and how excited he was about that. Before he became an American citizen, he, because uh, uh, he was working in the States, uh, he um, represented his union on the um, March on Washington, you know, so that he saw Martin Luther King's speech live. My mother met Malcolm X in Harlem. When I was going to church, we talked about, the, the, the preacher talked about politics from the pulpit and voting. Um, it just was, it's just, you know, uh, it's, it's in my DNA. 
you know, um, it was not too long ago where, um, I'll tell you this, like, I'll say it like this. Uh, Susan Lloyd Parks, an amazing playwright who I got uh, to, uh, to work with, she talked about how when her parents would drive down south, my particular story, um, when we would, my family would vacation in Cape Cod each year, we would, we would clock in time to being stopped by the police on the way down. You know, you, we, 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 we budgeted it into the time to get to where we needed to go. My father worked for Mercedes-Benz and we got a new Mercedes-Benz every year to drive. So all these black people in a fancy Mercedes-Benz. Um, but, but when, you know, we also got pulled over in our Plymouth. So being um, politically active uh, wasn't a choice. It was, it was survival. So um, that's why I am. Um, I remember, I remember like waking up in a cold sweat, like six days, something like that, or after my husband died because my husband was white. And I woke up and I realized, oh my God, Jack just became a black man. Because when he, when his white father was alive, anything happened, I could send my white husband to help Jack. I choose white caregivers. So if I happen to be working and busy, a white person shows up as the, um, as the caregiver to my children. That says something different. It says, oh, white person? I mean, it's, 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 it, it could be subliminal or it could just be outgoing. She's got money. She's got a white person here handling these kids. And it's, it, it's a way to protect my son. And it's, uh, it's, it's awful that I have to do that, but that's reality. I'm so sorry you have to. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you have to do that. Um, but I'm, I'm lucky that I have the means to do it. My parents would go to school board meetings <laughs> uh, and speak up. I remember speaking up at a school board meeting. So um, it's, just, it's just the way I was raised. Mm-mm. Has the overturning of Roe v. Wade made your focus in this area even stronger? Or was it already at 100%? I think that and having um, uh, teenagers. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I live in a blue state. Uh, I'll never not live in a blue state. I, I am beyond grateful that I had the choice to uh, terminate my pregnancy when I saw that my pregnancy was um, so incredibly unhealthy. And we named him Derek, by the way. You know, it's 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 not it's it, in the red states. People who have money will still have be able to have access to whatever they want to. It's people who don't have money, and uh, because I I know what it's like to have money, I know what it's like to not have money. I um, choose to be vocal, as well as you know, people like my work, and that I have a bit of a platform. What am I going to talk about? You know, deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, though I do use a crystal because you know I can, you know. Uh, any <laughs> uh, but uh, so yeah, I, um, I sh- as well as my mom. My mom was a registered nurse, so health care was always just a big thing in our family too. So it's just so important, and and to advocate for people that have got got less than us as 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 you said and I can't believe it because I'm literally having the nicest time talking to you but we have run out of time and I am going to end with one question which is actually very on point for uh you talking about and being so honest that you did other jobs up to true blood and if I often post stuff on the happy vagina instagram feed and all our other platforms but I'm a bit obsessed with that instagram about it's you are not too old and you are not too late and if ever there was an advocate for you are not too old not too late it is you I think it's you and I and you've admitted or you've shared with us openly that you it, that you've had to do secondary jobs and when you were nominated for an, an Emmy in an interview you said that you were, you were asked, you know, kind of what, what you thought about it. And you said, I can't think about it. It will mess with my head. All I can do is do my work and be in the game. And 
Adina Porter, if you had any tips for people listening now, no matter what career they're in, or whether it's just they're having a difficult time with themselves or in their relationship or with their kids, or whatever their current circumstances are, what would be your like top three tips for people to stay resilient in the face of things not going yet where they want them to be? The first thing I would do is um, journal. That's the first thing I would I would suggest. Journaling, making that time for yourself, and it might just be you know when you're in the bathroom having a bowel movement, just you know because you might not have the privacy anywhere else or or the time to 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 journal and to just to to write down um, your thoughts, just 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 to empty it all out to, and, uh, and and to do it consistently and maybe even. You know, writing down gratitude, you know, what, what, whatever you can be help, happy about. And I would also um, be really, really uh, careful about um, comparing yourself to other people. Because, you know, in my business, I spent decades comparing myself with other people and I wanted to look like other people that maybe possibly that would, you know, get me into different doors or whatever. And it was just self-sabotage because I wasn't working on being the best me I could be. I was working on trying to be an imitation. Um, so going back to what we originally talked about, with like what am I feeding myself? So that if I'm looking at IG, I look at posts that feed me. And I get rid of posts. I don't follow a lot of other actors only because... I'm constantly comparing myself and it's not like I don't want to support them. I can support them other ways, but I just got to protect my, my inner soul, you know, and, and it's just difficult if to, you know, to protect my inner soul if I'm comparing myself to, Oh, she got that job or she's doing this or, Oh, look how thin, because nobody ever posts <laughs> their kid crying. Nobody posts. And, and, you know, the Christmas tree is not going to finish decorating. And you didn't have time for that yet. No, people don't post that. People post all these perfectly things and it's bullshit because it's not true, you know? So be really, really mindful about uh, uh, taking care of your inner soul and what you're inadvertently digesting. God, yeah. I mean, I might just, when we finish this interview, I'm going to go and do a whole load of unfollowing. Yeah. What was your third one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's just that healthy. And then, and then... um do something that makes you feel good. And, and I dance, I dance. I make sure that my soul is, is filled by dancing. And yeah, sometimes my kids call me corny cause I don't know, I don't do the latest dances. I don't need the latest dances, but um, <laughs> it just, it, uh, you know, you, you, I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking and I'm just moving. I'm just moving. And you know, and, um, I love, I love, I love, and I've loved talking to you. What Thank is next you. for Adina Porter? What, what are you, because on your Twitter, you say... No spoilers. Well, you say actor, mum, human, and not always in that order. What, <laughs> what, are you being, what are you being at the moment, Adina Porter? What's the primary purpose of Adina Porter in the next month or two months? Uh, right now, it's being a mom because it's finals. And, 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 and also having a Christmas celebration, which is about, um, me celebrating me for many, many years, you know, it would be like, well, I'm going to go with my husband's family. If my husband was alive, we would take turns. And, um, I decided to, to take my turn because I'm, I'm no longer a daughter. I, both my parents are gone and, um, I want to create a, a holiday that's about, my family and my family is enough the the, the, the three of us it's, um so um there's that but work-wise i have a couple of projects coming out um and i finally started reading the fine print on on my um ndas <laughs> non-disclosure <laughs> you so i had to talk about I it can't tell you um <laughs> what they are but oh. there are a few of them that I'm really, really, really proud and excited about on streaming Watch services. This space. You know, watch uh, this space. Watch this space. <laughs> yeah, and I will um, <laughs> post on uh, IG when um, and and, and when Twitter. you do, we will be reposting you and celebrating all that you are, Dina Porter. Thank you so much. I I just I'm sort of slightly 
beautiful way overwhelmed with all of the amazing things that you've shared with us. And I know that everyone listening is going to have felt the same. Thank you so much for coming on the Happy Vagina. Final question. What makes your vagina happy today? My first thought that comes to my mind, and it's, um, I, I started drinking uh, lemon water in the morning. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Because <laughs> supposedly it's really good it's for really the good gut. Thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, it's really kind of personal, but it. Um, it I like uh, it. Uh, it. It eliminates really well. And so if my uh, gut and my butt are uh, working, then yeah. I just feel like my entire body is working. And then it will mean that my vagina is at its optimum. I, I also um, use vaginal weights. I'm, sh- I'm sharing so that other people can also share. They're incredibly inexpensive oh, because I talk about Kegels um, and, and we did that um, we talk about that when we were doing, um, uh, you know, teaching how to do medical uh, gynecological exams. I bring the table up so you're sitting up. It's more comfortable than lying back. I have a mirror in my hand so that I can see what's going on, so I can see any changes and then bring it to a doctor's attention sooner rather than later. But you can't if you don't actually see your vagina. So, uh, yeah, I love, I love vaginal weights. Uh, to 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 keep everything taut, to keep for stronger orgasms, and um, against incontinence. I mean, listen, the vaginal weights and the cleansing with the lemon water. I am here to confirm, without even being anywhere near it, that Adina Porter has an elite vagina I do. and vulva. I do. I do. I thank do. thank I do. you. Thank you so much for joining us, Adina. It's Thanks been an absolute pleasure me. talking to you. I'm sorry, I talked too much. <laughs> you didn't. You okay, didn't. Good. It was amazing. Thank okay, you. Okay. Goodbye. Thank goodbye. You. Bye. I'm Mika Simmons. That was Adina Porter. This is the Happy Vagina Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, join us on Instagram at The Happy Vagina. Tell your friends about what we're doing. We need and value your support. 